Acts on. Acts chapter 14, uh, where we read of the end of a, a missionary journey conducted by Paul and, and Barnabas, two prominent figures in, in the book of Acts. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to have a reading from the letter to Titus. We're going to be reading from Titus chapter 1, the verses 1 through 9. Uh, you can find this in your pew Bibles on page uh, 1181. Titus was a later co-worker of the Apostle Paul, who we'll also be hearing about in the book of Acts. And just as we'll see Paul and and Barnabas uh, appointing elders in various churches, we're also going to see here in the letter to Titus that this this work of putting elders, you know, uh, in a church is something that continues uh, throughout the New Testament period continues on today. So read from the beginning of the letter to Titus, the word of the Lord. It says there, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete, it's an island in the Mediterranean Sea, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We'll stop reading there from the letter of Titus. We're going to sing now uh, in preparation for the message this morning from Psalm 138. The stanzas 1, 2, and 4. We're now going to be looking in God's Word from the book of Acts. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 21. And you can find this on page uh, 1094 uh, if you have a pew Bible. So I mentioned uh, here, we're, we're coming to the end of, of one of the great missionary journeys, which is recorded for us in the scriptures, uh, a missionary journey undertaken by Paul and Barnabas, two prominent teachers of the, the church of Antioch. We read the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. They, that is Paul and Barnabas, preached the good news in that city, city of Derby, and won a large number of disciples. 
Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. From Adalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. Now he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want us to understand this morning, what I want us to to ponder and think about, is the fact that that Christians don't just make a a one-time commitment to Jesus Christ. They don't just, you know, become disciples. Christians are people who are committing the rest of their lives to Jesus Christ. They're saying, we want to be discipled for the rest of our lives. Our text in, in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 It begins with, they preached the good news in that city and and won a large number of disciples. They won a large number of disciples. Now, I don't generally like to to nitpick with translations or get really fussy about about how the text comes across, but I think it's, it's useful to know that in the original Greek, it's not so much saying that they had, had won disciples, but rather they, they discipled a large number. And I recognize that's not a huge difference. But I wanted to to bring it to your attention as as a reminder to us all that that being a follower of Jesus Christ is is a lifelong thing. It isn't just that you you put your faith in Jesus Christ and then you just kind of go back to your, your ordinary life or your life as it was before you committed to Jesus Christ. It's not like you profess your, your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then live as you were living before with the same attitudes. But just with, you know, that small added, added comfort that, well, now you have your ticket to heaven. You know, you've been saved. You know, spreading the gospel, making other people disciples of, of Jesus Christ. Discipling them. It's about... A lot more than just bringing people to a a moment in which they they first pray to Jesus and call on him as their their Lord and Savior. Or even, you know, undergo baptism or partake of the Lord's Supper. No, it's to be about an ongoing walk and one in which they're, they're taught to be more and more like 
the one who saved them. See, there's, there's something really wrong if, if you have a situation where someone can say, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus a few years ago. Oh, I'm not, you know, committed to, to say any church. You know, I'm not looking to be taught more. You know, I don't need to be going and, and listening to, to sermons or attending classes or being a part of Bible studies. I don't need people telling me how to live. Now, the church has a, a calling not just to, to make disciples of the nations, but to, to be discipling the nations. To be, to be helping people. Regardless of whether they're simply curious about the Christian faith or new to it or, you know, lifelong members of it. To be growing, to be maturing, to experience, you know, an abundance of, of sanctification. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit where he, he helps us to be more and more like our God in terms of you know, righteousness, holiness. We're going to be helping one another to be more and more keen on imitating and obeying the one who died and rose for us. And that isn't something we can just do alone. At least certainly in the Bible, we can see the, the model for discipleship isn't just you know, a believer on their own praying to the Holy Spirit for them to grow. It's them also working with other believers, serving them and being served by them, teaching them and being taught by them. You know, Paul and, and Barnabas, after they had discipled you know, many people in the city of Derby, without, somewhat surprisingly, you know, any real opposition. They, they returned to a couple cities they had already been to. And you read about that earlier in Acts. They returned to cities of, of Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. In those cities, we need to understand, they had encountered a lot of opposition. And so it was a very scary thing, you might say, for them to have gone back. No, in Lystra, Paul had been stoned. No, rocks had been thrown at him until he had died. The people were at least certainly convinced he had died. In the city of Iconium, people had plotted to stone both Barnabas and Paul, though they didn't get the opportunity. And in Pisidian Antioch, or the Antioch of Pisidia, they are told they had both been persecuted we don't know exactly what they look like or what that persecution had looked like, but they've been persecuted and expelled, literally kicked out of the region. You now, with an implication that if you come back, things will not go well for you. And so it was very scary for, for Barnabas and Paul to have gone back to those cities, but they did because they saw a need, they saw the importance of continuing to disciple the believers who were in those cities to disciple those people who had, you know, placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who had accepted the, the grace of God, the, the good news that, that Paul and Barnabas had gone out speaking 
No, that there could be forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ. The apostles, they, they return to these dangerous environments. We're told they went strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now here it's perhaps kind of fun to note that Barnabas, one of the two, was literally the the son of encouragement. That's what his name meant. This is one of those places where we get to see him really putting his, that spiritual gift of encouragement to, to great use. We get a little reminder that, you know, those of us who share the gift of encouragement really need to be actively putting that gift to use. Just encouraging one another in our walk can be part of discipling others. You know, often we, we think of discipleship, we often focus on things like, like teaching. You know, we think, oh, well, maybe you need to have like advanced degrees or, or just decades of experience in order to, to disciple people around you. You know, I'd say that, that isn't that for the, like the really experienced believers or, or you know, trained pastors or, or elders? So, you know, even encouragement. The simple ability to, to speak to others and lift their spirits, to show them that, that they matter, to remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ and God and all that he's done. Even that can be a way to disciple those around you. We need a lot of encouragement, especially if we are following Jesus through times of darkness, pain, and grief. We're told in Acts chapter 14, for instance, that, that Paul and Barnabas, they, they had to say to the believers in those churches, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, having been persecuted themselves, Paul and Barnabas, they, they knew they weren't leaving those believers in a particularly easy situation. You know, they, were, they were leaving them in cities where there was clearly some hostility towards the Christian faith, towards the good news. But Paul and Barnabas want them to, to recognize that it's worth going through these hardships. That it's through the, the hardships, you might say. That we take our place in God's kingdom. It's through the, the hardships that we really learn what it means to, to follow Jesus Christ as our king and, and to live as people who will one day get to experience his full glory and all that he has in store for us, for those who trust in him. Now, encouragement, it's not telling people to overlook hardships. It's not refusing to acknowledge that there is pain and difficulty that can come in our lives. And we can acknowledge that following Christ is hard, that that trusting him is hard. We don't have to sugarcoat the reality of the Christian faith to one another. 
We sometimes do need to remind one another what we're all aiming for. Now that we don't just follow the Christian faith to, to make this life, you know, more convenient, more, more palatable. And the gospel does ease many of our burdens, many of our, you know, tragic, the tragic things that, that happen among us, the things we go through. But it's also saying there is far more awaiting us as well. And sometimes we, we need to, to remind others that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are, we're following a figure who suffered, who had to suffer before he would be, would be glorified, before he would be given the, the honor of being seated at his Father's right hand. Suffering, bearing our crosses, learning to rejoice even though we're suffering— that is, you might say, Christianity 101. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas weren't going around to people and saying, you know, become a Christian and then you will be blessed. Your life will be easy. It will be simple. Now they recognized that they were calling people to join them in following a suffering Savior. Suffering is to be expected. Persecution, expected. But even in this, we can have reason for hope, reason for joy. Recognizing that even suffering is something that God is often using to help us grow, to, to make us, you know, you might say more suited for a place in his kingdom. Suffering, you might say, reveals to us often keenly just how much the the fruit of the Spirit is apparent in our lives. You know, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance. If those are only things we see in ourselves on the good days, on the times when we have reason for joy, now we have a lot more growing to do, you know? A lot more to gain from discipleship, being discipled. Going through hardship In persecution, those things can show us what what truly matters most to us, what we most truly desire in life. And whether what we most truly desire, what we most truly want is, you know, the kingdom of God or just a kingdom here on earth. This discipleship, as I've said, it, it should be ongoing. And one of the ways Christ, you know, tries to ensure that it will be ongoing is by giving to his church's elders. Men who are particularly equipped to be discipling others. We're told that that Paul and Barnabas, they appointed elders for them, that is for the, the believers in those three cities And with prayer and fasting, committed them, that's the elders, to the Lord. In whom they, the elders, 
had put their trust. Ball and Barnabas, going back to these churches that, you know, had, were just kind of brand new. And asking, okay, who are, you know, the men among you who are, are qualified to take up a, a special task, a special role? But they don't just, you know, tell these men to rely on their own strength. You know, oh, you've, you've clearly learned some things about following Jesus Christ. All right, go on out now. No, they, they point them to the Lord. They point them to their office with, with prayer and fasting that is calling on the Lord, asking for his help. They're telling these men to, to look to Christ for what they need, that they might be a blessing to those who are, are put in their charge. Church leaders, of course, today, they, they need to have you know, their eyes focused on Christ if they're to work well, to work productively, to work in the power of the Spirit. But it's worth for those of us who are not, you know, elders to consider, do we support them? Do we particularly pray for them? As, as Paul and Barnabas prayed for them. Do we ask the Lord to, to bless those who are, are elders or deacons, pastors? Not just for their benefit, but that they might be better able to, to disciple us, help us follow Christ, help us bring glory to the God who most certainly deserves it from us. And think about it, what is the, the ultimate task of you know, elders? You might say it's to disciple us, it's to help us onward toward Christ. No, it's not simply a, a job that's about, or a role that's about enforcing the status quo. Now, sometimes, you know, in churches that, that can happen. Where, where elders go around and they're just kind of asking people, you know, are you doing these few things? Okay. But not necessarily asking, you know, where are areas where you need to, to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ? What are the, the things that, that are burdening you? What are, are the things that are, that are weaknesses in your life that you would wish to overcome? What are the things that you could see yourself doing for the glory of God with a, a bit of help and support and encouragement? You know what we want from, from our elders is for them to, to help us per, pursue Christ-likeness. You know, Paul, later on in his life, as he would continue doing missionary journeys, wherever he would, he would go, after a time, he would have elders appointed in the churches. Now we read that in, in Titus chapter 1. Like he had gone to the island of Crete, he had preached there for some times, then he departs and he tells Titus, you know, appoint elders. First Timothy chapter 3, you can see something similar with another one of his co-workers, Timothy. 
Just a matter of time, Paul is reminding Timothy the qualifications for, for elders and, and for deacons. These qualifications, they're kind of telling us, look, the, the church needs to have people who have already begun to demonstrate Christ-likeness, people in whom we can already see you know, many positive works of the Spirit, so that the rest of us can begin to grow in those things as well. Now, the goal isn't just to have a church where you can have a bunch of elders who, who really resemble Christ, but then the rest of us are like, well, we're content with wherever we're at. No, they're to, to be leading us. They're to be models for us in a sense. As you know, Paul at times said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Sometimes we need to be doing that as well. Imitating the, the office bearers that we have you know, in our very churches as we are following Jesus Christ. After appointing you know, office bearers in those cities, Paul and, and Barnabas, they would head back to, to Antioch, the, the Antioch in Syria where they had you know, first begun their missionary journey. I'm kind of given the steps of the, the travels they took to get there. Getting there, we're, we're reminded. Now they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And see, brothers, we need to keep this in mind. As, you know, as I talk about us discipling one another, as I talk about you know, elders discipling people in the churches, we need to, to keep in mind this is not something we embark upon in, in our own strength. This isn't really about us and, and our gifts and our abilities. This is in the first place about us all recognizing together the amazing things Jesus Christ has done for us and even continues to do for us. A recognition that we have a Savior who, who's now at the right hand of God. Who died on the cross to bring about the forgiveness of our sins. Who, who rose from the grave to convince us that, that death does not have power over us and that life eternal awaits us. And who has also ascended to heaven so that he's in a position even now to be blessing us in countless ways, leading us onward. Now, the first missionary journey, if you read it kind of from, from beginning to, to the end we've reached, you'll, you'll see it was a, a grace-filled tour de force. It's a reminder to us that grace needs to continue being at the heart of what we do. It's a message of grace that we bring to people all around us. And it's with an attitude of grace that we also interact with and disciple one another. And we need to, to keep in mind we are calling people who don't know God and people who already know God to be living in a grace-based relationship with the Lord, to be living, you know, as one of his children, recognizing 
that all of this is because he has ultimately done it all. Recognizing at every step that we're, we're not worthy. Recognize every step that it's cause to give glory to his great name. Oh, I talked earlier about the fact that, you know, we're not just looking to, to become believers. We're looking to, to be following Jesus Christ for a lifetime. But of course, we need to recognize that's something we do, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something we do constantly calling it, at him to be at work in our hearts. From beginning to ending, it's not really about us. It's about him, all that he does, all that he accomplishes. It's knowing God's great power, God's great work that we desire to be more like him, to be more like the Son, to be more living, you know, in step with the Spirit. And we're told when Barnabas and Paul arrived back at, at Antioch, you know, they, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. And how he, you know, how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You know, sometimes people will say, they'll, they'll take a passage from, from Revelation where it talks about Jesus knocking at the door. And they'll say, see, that's the situation in your life. You know, Jesus is, is knocking at the door, and you just have to open the door and welcome him in. But if you kind of look at what it talks about in Acts, it's saying, no, it's, it's, it's more than that. God, in a sense, flings wide the door of faith. He opens it up that his children can be coming in. It calls for the glory to be given to, to his name because he is the one who accomplishes these things in our lives. You know, Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, they, they had worked hard, you might say. They had done a lot, but they recognized it was really God working through them. It was God who was ultimately bringing these people in that they might know him. You know, Paul, he would write in his first letter to the Corinthians, I will, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he would write, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. To the Colossians, he would write, you know, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. I might say as we go about spreading the gospel, let's remember to trust in the power of God. Remember, it's he who's, who's really going to be opening these doors. We might not always have the best answers to people's questions. We might not always give them the, the clearest responses to the things that they say. We'd seek to do this in the power that God grants. Recognize he's the one who's bringing about what's being accomplished. He's the one opening doors in in people's hearts that they might know him and and rejoice in him. 
We're told, finally, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, that's the thing about discipleship. It often needs to be happening over the long haul. Now, it can't just be the sort of thing that happens sporadically. I mean, it's great if it happens sporadically, but it's also something we should be looking for to be happening regularly. We want long-term bonds and and connections. We want to be spending a a long time with one another. So that the barriers that can easily be between us can get broken down, that trust can develop, that, that openness can be a thing. That we might learn to be one. Now, as Jesus Christ, our head wants us to be one. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they stayed in Antioch for a long time. Because those believers, too, who, you know, had been in the faith already for some time, they also needed encouragement, needed teaching, needed guidance, because discipleship is something which doesn't end. As long as we live, as long as God gives us life, we're to be learning, we're to be growing, seeking Him, striving to be more like Him, striving to honor and glorify Him. Amen.